Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double n. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 632 of the podcast and it is Wednesday the 6th of July 2022 as I record this in between episode. In today's show, I'm talking about self-publishing special print editions with John Bond and Chris Wold from White Fox. So there is so much we can do with print on demand, which if you don't know is when we upload our files and every time a customer orders a book, they're a print book, then one copy is printed and sent to the reader. But let's face it, many of us want to do special print runs with better quality paper, varieties of covers, maybe colour interiors, illustrations, ribbons, foil, all kinds of extras. And it's hard to know what is possible as it's almost another language entirely and it's like we don't know what we don't know. But when we find a beautiful book in a bookstore, we think, wow, that would be awesome if I could do that for my book. And even as we go more digital, we also want to create more beautiful print editions, either with crowdfunding or just to print and sell direct or in stores or at events. And people ask me all the time who are the good partners because... There are also a lot of publishing partners out there who are not so good. So I wanted John and Chris from White Fox to come on. And John's been on the show before. We talked about White Fox, but um, I wanted them to come back on. Uh, They are a partner member of the Alliance of Independent Authors. And I know that they do some incredible print books. I recommend them as partners for these kind of special print projects. And they do more than print, but um, especially for beautiful print uh, objects. And yes, I am an affiliate of White Fox, but I put my reputation behind them because I trust John and the team. And we've known each other for years now. John and I meet up and uh, like London Book Fair, we met up last time and, and I was going to do my own Kickstarter crowdfunding special print edition with them. We went through my project plan and we were going to go ahead, but I decided as I've been talking about on the show that I was going to build my Shopify store for this book and focus on that. So I'm still doing print on demand, but I want to do a special print run at some point, maybe with this travel memoir that I'm uh, is now underway. And also maybe for my shadow book, which I really hope to write next year. So yeah, I definitely want to do a special print run at some point. And I know many of you want to do these types of beautiful objects. So yeah, I wanted you to have a listen to our conversation and uh, they have offices in the US and the UK. You can contact them for a chat through their website, wearewhitefox.com. Please tell them you heard about uh, them from me. And if you want details on running a successful Kickstarter, check out previous episodes 614, where I talked to Monica Lionel about Kickstarter, and also 627, where I talked to Brian Cohen about his Kickstarters. But in the meantime, whether you want to do crowdfunding or if you would uh, just like to do special print runs, then have a listen to this interview. Let's get into it. John Bond is the CEO of White Fox, a premium publishing and book marketing partner based in the UK and US. 
Chris Wald is the Sales and Business Development Director at White Fox. So welcome back to the show, John, and hello, Chris. Thank you very, very much for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to talk about this today. So let's start with, I think this question's important. I mean, it's crazy, really. But why are print books still so important and beloved in a world that also feels increasingly digital? I mean, that's such a good question. When we started in 2012 in London, uh, so we just had our 10th anniversary. and And when we got going, we imagined a world where every project would include an app or an enhanced ebook. And we have done some of those things, but nothing like the amount that I imagined was going to happen. And what's just been astonishing is how many people are still in love with this format that's been around for centuries and which still seems to resonate with people uh, as something which has authority and gravitas and which is the opposite of ephemera. You can't delete it. It's a rather extraordinary thing. And what seems to have happened actually is the opposite maybe of what we thought was going to happen, which is that more and more people want to put more effort into creating more beautiful objects with higher specification and better paper. And it's almost like the two go hand in hand. You know, as we've become more digital, some things have ended up becoming almost iconic objects, which you can still gift, you can still own. Uh, so I no one was more surprised than me. <laughs> that has, has been where we've ended up. Oh, I have to say that sitting here in my front room, which seems to be, once you start noticing it, it's dominated by bookshelves in our home. And it is, I think the book as a printed object also is seen as a kind of a reflection of yourself. And especially in the home or in mine anyway, that they, they seem to, they're treasured for that reason, but also that it, it is a little bit of a trophy case side of things. And the books that I've held on to for a long time are precious for lots of reasons, but the ones that really stick around are the nicer ones, I have to say. And there's something to be said for something that sticks with you for you move four or five times just for the sake of moving it and putting it back on another shelf in another house, in another part of the world. Uh, yeah, I, I know what you mean, because I moved from the UK to New Zealand, then New Zealand, Australia, and then back here to the UK. And yeah, there are some books that have come with me all over the world, and I've paid for shipping by weight. So yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. how much I would have paid in shipping. But no, you you guys, both of you mentioned interesting things there. And it's funny, because actually, one of my mottos at the moment, sort of my overarching themes is more digital, more physical. And yeah. that's both work practices. So actually getting out in the physical world more, but also more online and and it's like you say John it's surprising in a way well I guess my question for you is what do we see then in terms of buying behavior are people buying just one or the other or both or even just what we do as as individuals how is it affecting book sales I guess across all the different formats I mean we are not anti-ebook we love ebooks everything we produce we produce an ebook for but it's just been fascinating that Certainly in the last two years, we've seen what the market has seen, which is a kind of uplift in physical sales. And it was almost as if the pandemic, which for a while obviously stopped people actually physically going into bookshops and browsing, seemed to reinforce this idea of both, I guess. I mean, the people that were in love with with E continue to buy E, and the people that were stuck at home or not traveling were buying physical. And you know, that, so 
I think it's, as you say, the two have seemed to go hand in hand. And obviously there are sorts of books which lend themselves to those respective formats, children's books or, or, as I said, gifting and cookery, highly illustrated books. It's very difficult to replicate those as well uh, digitally, but that's our experience. Just to jump in there, I would say that I think early days, a lot of the fear was that people were going to be completely agnostic about a format. That there was fear of the ebook overtaking the print book because they thought, oh, everyone's just going to buy ebooks now. And what would happen to them? And quite the contrary, as you mentioned, John, the opposite happened. People are buying books and ebooks and audiobooks of the same book often. I found myself last weekend, heard a great interview on a radio program, loved it. He was entertaining, bought the audiobook first loved that so much, but realized it probably wasn't going to work for me on the commute. And the next day I searched it out of the bookshop. So he got me twice and I've loved both. <laughs> same, yeah. same content, same content. I've done it. I do exactly the same. I very often I'll get an audio book because I want to listen while I'm doing cooking or whatever. And then I buy the, I often buy the hardback to so the more expensive print edition of those audio books that I particularly want to look at again. But of course I don't need to read the whole thing. I just know, right, I want to go back into that chapter and take some notes on that. And the same, I'll often get the ebook with the audio book or, so I, like you're saying, I buy multiple. And I think that's important for people to remember. You're not going to necessarily cannibalize that we have to offer all these things so let's get into the types of because we're talking about print today so most independent authors myself included primarily use print on demand and that's something we're very used to doing but when might an author consider a special print run when is it worth the money and, and what kinds of projects have you seen at white fox well, I think maybe I should start with the last question we, about the actual projects because they will illustrate the sorts of things that we've done because they've been quite varied. So we worked with a rather extraordinary teacher called David Hargreaves, who co-wrote a 780,000-word, four-volume, uh, 100-pound box set of an oral history of the First World War. And he decided that he would like to try and cover the cost of the production of that particularly kind of quirky, idiosyncratic project, which he could engage with us. It was much more difficult for him to engage either himself or or directly with a traditional publisher because the project was so out of the box. And he managed to actually privately crowdfund that book. So he had a mailing list of around 500 people, but he managed to persuade 300 of those 500 people to pre-order a copy of this book, which enabled him to invest in the production, the marketing. And we helped him with that. We produced some assets. There were some videos that actually Chris was part of to sort of tell people what was what they were buying into. And he was very successful in that he's then managed subsequently to sell many thousand copies of that once it actually became available and was in discussions with university presses and things like that so that was one example but a completely different one was a book we did with James Hoffman he's a coffee nerd and he's an expert in all things to do with coffee has traditionally published a book 
decided he wanted to be very, very engaged with his community, very engaged with his readers of, of his blog. And what he wanted to do was to create a deluxe version of the blog content he kept, at which, which was illustrated at very, very minute, intricate, niche details about coffee. And set up with a more traditional crowdfunding platform, managed to pre-sell again 800 plus copies which enabled him to fund the production of a beautiful linen bound uh, hardback 25 pound book which was really for collectors really for engagement with his super fans and those are two examples of the things where in both cases the writer felt this was something they wanted to do with existing content and wanted to reach a market that was a gateway potentially to a bigger market. I think it's worth noting too that with both of those projects, one was that they felt that the POD just didn't have, have has limitations for certain things you can do with it. And it's an amazing system for the right types of books. And we encourage many of our clients to, to take it up. But for these projects, it just was outside of scope. And that's okay. Also for their markets, their market was looking for something that was as much object as content on it. An interesting side note is that David Hargreaves did his massive four-volume, 2,300-page <laughs> opus as an ebook, kind of as a, you know, well, let's give it a try. And he called up one day and he said, I've just had a company send me a check of some thousands of pounds for ebook sales. And he had thought he would maybe sell 10. And, and it still it still works in the many other formats. You can make you can you can use both channels very effectively together. And James way. Hoffman's book was an ebook as well. So it's as we were saying before, I think these are not just always having to be one particular format. There are multiple opportunities for them. And we, just to clarify, we also think this mode works for fiction fantastically well. And we have a number of discussions ongoing with projects which are in their early stages of people that want to appeal to a core group of fans having engaged with a network and created a platform for themselves. We definitely think this isn't just something that can work for nonfiction. Mm, no, absolutely. And in fact, one of the famous <laughs> Kickstarters is Brandon Sanderson's Kickstarter for his fantasy novels of over 40 million US dollars, which of course, uh, pretty much, let's say none of us are expecting to make that money. As you mentioned, you had a couple of examples there with a few hundred. It's even worth doing with a few hundred pre-orders. But one of the issues, and we've all talked about this with a project that I had been proposing, is that we just don't know the cost. It's really hard to budget the costs. So what are some of the design decisions that impact the cost of production for these special print runs? Actually, the book production side of special runs is probably one of your easier areas to estimate because they're fairly established. And it's really about having a good partner, either a printer or somebody who's print knowledgeable to assist you and kind of lay out the options for you. The harder aspect of that, especially in considering a crowdfunding scenario, is things beyond the book. So your extra pledges and importantly, the really the time and the cost for fulfilling that. That's where often a lot of these projects can stumble a little bit and maybe sour, even if they've been successful in raising the money. And it almost points to the more successful campaigns being from people who are a little bit further down the road in their career 
crowdfunding is often not the best route for first-time authors. It's for somebody to perhaps build on an audience that they have started to gain trust with and establish relationships with. So I've done a number of different shows on crowdfunding and with different authors who are doing it. So I've covered the marketing side, the promotion side. So we're really just trying to cover the print side really in this episode, though completely acknowledge the problems there. But coming back, you amusingly, and this is because of your expertise, uh, Chris, as you said that it was easy to estimate these costs. But I want to just dig deeper on this because when I came to you guys, it was, I literally don't know anything. I don't know about choosing paper. I don't know how the size of the cover might impact the cost. I don't know about how I should format things with page count to impact the cost and all these different things that I don't usually have to think about because I just go with a standard thing that I do with print on demand. So can we get into a bit more detail about the design decisions around the print edition that impact cost and what we need to think about? Sure. The, the dangers of assumed knowledge, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> and, but it's nice to know that you think it's easy. <laughs> well, when, I, when I say it's easy, I mean that there are costs and processes that are quite established. But for, I can, and coming back to I think your position on it, looking at it from that one, is that if it's a new area for you, especially for an independent self-publishing author, if you are going to make the leap from maybe print on demand or really straightforward traditional printing, we would highly, highly recommend that you work closely with a print expert to guide you through what the options might be, what are the reasonable costs. And there are lots of printers, big and small, who can help or houses like White Fox. And that's not just a shill for us. It's just that we would bring a level of expertise about what the options are. But the things that you need to be considering are um, findings. So with uh, POD option, you've got it's pretty binary for the most part, hardback, paperback. So, but when you're going to a higher spec, perhaps a hardcover might be cloth, but it might, you could have the option of leather or faux leather or all these extras like embossing and debossing, foils, edge dipping. There's a whole world out there and it truly the sky's the limit for options. But of course, budget is going to reign supreme there. What we also see is that if you're putting together a deluxe package like that, you may want to add some illustration into your books. And that might be plates and that are spaced out throughout the various chapters in your book and papers, that sort of thing. So there are avenues from which you can find the cost for the artists that are available out there but also that would have an implication into the print process itself. And that's where a good printer should be able to help and guide you and give you the options of what's the cost with it? What's the cost without it? You can make a comparison on that. And then you could keep going. Do you want to sign them and number them? Do you want to put in a personal dedication? That's more about your own time on that. And what about housing for a book? If you have a series, maybe you want to put it in a slipcase. A good printer would give you, able to give you clear options there, but maybe it might be more of a clamshell, something that's sort of a box that you open up and they would give you the option on that side. You you really can't uh, give a standard cost for any of these things. That's where the expertise of a printer comes in. But also there are additions that you can add, which cost nothing, which is your time in creating extra content for a limited edition. So there are things that you can add to special print run 
which is not just the specification of the book, which is, as I said, additional content or notes around something, reader's notes, or just to give that feeling that you have something which is special and of limited availability. Mm. I love that there is this almost other language. Uh, Chris, you mentioned the edge dipping. You said clamshell, <laughs> ship case. In my head, it's like a box set for a physical box set. And I, I feel like this is part of it. We all have these special languages in the indie community. We use acronyms and we use all these names that we know in our community. And you have the same words in this in this print sense, which is, again, why you need someone to, to talk about it. But I did have a couple of specific questions. So, for example, memoir. I know a lot of people listening will be doing memoir or I'm doing travel memoir in particular. So photos are something I was thinking about or people, you mentioned illustrations, but photos are kind of particular thing. And also the impact of colour interior, whether it's a children's book or whether it is these photos or extra colour in the ink or other things like that. So any comments on those types of things? I would say that it's a fun little experiment that on Ingram Spark the price calculator and uh, playing around with different interior processes. And they do have a black and white versus a color option there. But that's a curious one to see what the POD impact is like cost-wise. With traditional printing, you might have some other options that aren't available to print on demand, which would be, say, color plate sections that we're probably very familiar with from biographies and memoirs, wherein you have a normal black and white book, and then there'll be a section of photographs that are either black and white or color that reference part of the story on that. As far as I know, that's not an option that's available on POD yet, but I can imagine that's technology that might come down the road pretty quickly. It's It's been advancing quickly. But at the moment, uh, POD seems to be quite binary. You have to either choose to do color or black and white, and that might not be appropriate for all books because of the limited amount of color. Even a little color can cost a lot of money. The issue on colour and on the quality of the reproduction of photos, when they're not in plate sections, when they're actually integrated within the text of the book, which can look absolutely beautiful, then leads to the discussion about the quality of the paper, mm. the printers that do that, the weight of the paper, um, and that takes you in a different direction. But for some books, that is absolutely beautiful and differentiates them hugely because it's something that you associate more with a kind of art book publishing area, but it's definitely possible. There's been some beautiful memoirs and autobiographies and biographies that have incorporated those photos throughout to illustrate something. And again, but again, to get the maximum out of those, it needs to be on paper that doesn't suck that the color or the, or the uh, clarity out of the, out of the image. Just again, speak your language. What is the quality and weight? Like, what would you address to a printer? What are the words we use for quality and weight of paper? Sure. So, in the UK, we, being sensible people, we deal in a metric system, but in America, it's imperial. And as an American, I can say that. So, most options on Ingram Spark give you a standard 55 pound, I don't know what that is in GSM. Uh, equivalent, but a 55 pound paper. That's think that's just a couple of steps up from sort of a, a news print weight on that. And that, when we say weight, we mean the sort of thickness and density of the paper. You can really feel the difference in, in some books. With color books, you probably are getting up into the 80, 115 sort of pound range even. And that becomes quite 
uh, you know, quite noticeably different to your hand when you're touching it. But more importantly, it's about, as John has mentioned, it's about how the page reacts to ink and the process that is used to apply it. Mm, no, that's fantastic. And then just a couple of things, like, because uh, I really think about bling. So if you did mention foil briefly, but what are the kind of cool things that we could do on a cover? And I also like ribbons. So these are the, my two blingy things. So what, any comments on those? Oh, gosh, I think, John, what's the coolest cover you've ever seen? I mean, I think for me, one has been, I saw, and this is really hard to pull off. There was an amazing hardback that had what we call a die cut, so a hole in it. And that made a shape in the front cover. And on that cover, it was printed. So there was an image and then you could see through to the interior paper page. And there was another image and it all worked together. And then when you open the book up, it became an entirely different looking scene that that was real contrast. It looked quite peaceable on the inside. And then when you open it up, it was uh, on the outside and open it up, it was quite an active illustrated picture. That was uh, that's one that that's really stood out from for me, and I, I wish I had it on my shelf. I don't, gosh, this is one that hasn't made the call somehow. And <laughs> talking about the US has Joanna, we talked about it before. Deckle ledges, so that kind of the, the hardbacks which where the paper has been cut and it looks sort of it's not been kind of guillotined very smoothly, and I I love that. And then there's the actual binding. So uh, a cookbook called Polpo, which was based on Venetian cooking where they actually took the spine the cover the casing of the spine off so you saw the binding of the pages which was absolutely beautiful and it and but a slight danger in terms of the book falling apart (laughs) so sometimes what looks amazing can come with some health warnings Yeah. So I guess all of these things are possible. Like you said, everything is possible, but you have to think about your budget. And so I guess, would you suggest that authors, when they're thinking about these things, like take pictures of things they like or find examples like that decal edge you mentioned I've got the book on it somewhere again looking at my bookshelf but I found examples of books I'm like oh I really like that so I'm gonna keep that as a reference type of physical book that I like and we'll maybe we can figure out what that's called later on but is that what authors should do is just make notes of the things they really like to bring those ideas to to work with book designers I guess I think that's a really great idea. I think there's nothing that sends a signal than that this is what I like. This is what my community likes. This is what I think my network will like. This is something I want to replicate, not exactly, but in a style of. And all of those things represent a shorthand for us to be able to say, okay, this printer, this country, this kind of run, this vacation that we can build into the whole thing. I think that's incredibly useful way of almost like helping the, as you say, define the language around it as to what your objective is. Mm. Anything else on the design aspect that either of you wanted to mention? I mean, I wanted to mention we've, in preparation for this, Joanna, we've done a bit of work in creating a free downloadable resource, which you can find on our website, which is wearewhitefox.com slash crowdfunding. And we've really tried to think about lots of the questions that people will ask and want to have access to before they make a kind of informed decision. And that includes aspects of design and specification, things like that. So that would be one thing I would suggest. 
I know that's super useful and I really appreciate that. And of course, I will have explained it up front, but I really wanted to have you guys on the show because in our discussions about this, it was like, oh my goodness, there's so many things to think about. So having a resource is, is super useful. So I appreciate that. But one of the things I wanted also to talk about is with print on demand. So basically I get the files back from my designer. I upload them to KDP print and Ingram Spark, and I can literally order a book within a couple of hours and it will arrive. It could even arrive tomorrow. So I I can just do that right now. And that's amazing. So I think most indie authors and people listening, they're like, yeah, yeah, if I if I want to print book, I just upload files and here they are. So how does that differ with a special print run like this? And, and what timings do we need to take in consideration, especially in these times of supply chain issues? Well, you're completely right. And just as we've been talking, I've been kind of thinking about exactly that and the speed of and the speed and efficiency of POD, which is incredible. And I think we have to think about uh, something that one might be charging quite a lot of money for. You're going to have to think of it slightly more in a, in a sort of deferred gratification way, which is that once you've defined what it is you want to achieve, then it's a job for somebody like us to say, okay, well, we think this is the place where you will get the best replication of the quality that you want in as timely a fashion as you possibly can. But you are completely right to say that the print supply chain issues that have been going on all over the world is something that I think we would just say we have a myriad of different options of people that are in the UK, in the US, in in Europe, in the Far East, in that there are lots of places uh, Chris, I know, saw a printer this week who was was fantastic. And I think it's in, in one way, the market is challenged. In another, it's just making people up their game. And we've never been a, as, a, approached by as many printers who want to work with us because the traditional supply chains have been challenged, as I say. I mean, Chris, you might want to add in something on that. Yeah, I don't think that the POD is also is necessarily immune from those challenges either. It does happen on both sides, but something that really sort of pops up for me in this discussion, and we were talking about the speed to market aspect of POD, which is frankly phenomenal and the right thing for the right type of publishing. But a lot of what we've been talking about during the discussion is very old school and quite artisanal in many ways. And for a lot of authors, that that process of being able to slow down, look, consider, plan is is really appreciated and enjoyable as um as much as it is work. A lot of people like that considered aspect for certain types of product. And it's oftentimes we're working with places in parts of the world where old school machines still <laughs> exist. I mean, we're doing a lot of color work out of the Baltics where they have these just monsters of print you know, almost feel like Soviet era printing presses who can do things that that new digital and mechanical presses just can't do anymore. Uh, speaking to timelines on this, uh, with traditional printing, it's certainly much more extended. And at the time of recording here, we're still dealing with a lot of supply chain issues in, in various parts of the world. And that's really stretched the capacity issues that are available on various printers, be you in the US or Canada or the UK or Europe. So just to, you should, if doing a traditional print run from the point of saying go to a printer that you've decided on everything that you've planned out, you must at least 
give yourself six weeks at a minimum if you are in the UK. And at the moment in the States, it can be quite extended into months. Again, if you're working with a printer, they'll have given you, when they give you your price quote for going forward, they will include a quote about what that process time looks like for you, including shipping. And that's not an unsubstantial amount, depending on where you're printing and shipping to. Mm -hmm. No, that's great. And in fact, Chris, I like what you said earlier about the artisanal idea. And I think that's the kind of angle or the mindset shift we need to make as as indie authors is look, okay, so yeah, we can get the ebook out. We can send the ebook to people and say, look, your special print edition will be a couple of months for fulfillment, but you can have the ebook now, you can read it now, and then your special object, your special beautiful object will be on its way. So I definitely think there's, it's just about communication with backers, say on the crowdfunding, it's like, yeah, you're not going to get it as soon as this is this is finished funding. Basically, it might take a while. But again, I also think uh, having backed a lot of crowdfunding campaigns, sometimes it's a year later. So I don't want people to feel like they, they are trying to compete with print on demand. I think that that's the main thing, right? It's a completely different product, really. Absolutely. And I think that's a really good point because if, I mean, this campaign back to the Brandon um, Sanderson project. So that went live at the beginning of this year. And I think it was funded by March. Now, the first of those books will not, and eBooks even, will not be sent out until January, 2023. So what he's been very good about is also making that clear, giving himself enough time to deliver. And just as an author, he's traditionally been one of the most transparent I've ever seen in, he has a graph on his website that shows where he is in writing the various projects that he's working on. I mean, that is a quite exceptional thing. And he's great about updating that and showing that where he's going to hit. And if he's going to miss, he gives you plenty of warnings. So that's key to the crowdfunding sort of thought process is that you're very right. It does not have to be immediate. The moment something is funded does not mean that you have to be able to deliver, but you have to be able to, to know when you can deliver. I think people who are used to communicating with their readers in some way, shape or form uh, can benefit sometimes from having versions of their engagement with their audience over a period of time. So there's almost like a kind of staging of things where rewards, if you want to call it that, of, of, uh, come at different times through the process so that it isn't just immediate bundling of all formats available instantly and that there's things that happen down the line with different formats and of the same thing. And I think it's how people are successfully engaging and keeping their readership engaged with them over a long period of time. And I think that is how one might see a physical kind of limited edition physical run happening, as you said, a bit after the initial um, absorption of the novel or the memoir or whatever it is. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. And having talked with you guys and looked at projects together, and I just personally, I'm like, I am not doing this on my own. Of course, authors can do this with printers. As you say, they can find a printer, they can do that work. But if they want a partner to help, what does White Fox offer? And what sort of questions should people be asking? We, we get these inquiries daily, not necessarily about, about crowdfunding models and and products on that side of things. But really, I have a book idea. I want to bring it out in this way. How do I do so? We're very happy to have an initial conversation and give some options there to make sure that we're both on the right page over 
sort of time and cost and quite very early on in the process. But should you should an author come to White Fox, we give a very clear agreement of what we can offer and what we can't and what that entails. And I think that we provide a pretty open door service as far as consultation, where we're very happy to advise and advise very objectively around what are the options that are available and worth it. I think that's also the key side of things because we the last thing we were ever do would be pushing either a service or an option that just wasn't value for the investment from the author for, for doing it. And those queries are coming in from all over the world. As you said, right at the top of the show, we have an office in the US, we're in London as well. And those queries sometimes depend very much on knowledge of different markets and what different objectives people have in different countries. So we try and put as much in thought and effort into that. The more thought and energy and consultation and effort we put in right at the beginning of a process, the better it is and the clearer everybody is about what they want to achieve. And we're helping authors across the board in, in pretty much everything from nose to tail in terms of their publishing objectives. We like to feel that we're holding their hand from the moment a manuscript comes to us, or even sometimes in the process of a manuscript being being written to everything through production design, uh, sales distribution. Do they have an e-commerce strategy? Is there something which represents a direct consumer or is it through the trade, through marketing, through PR? Well, but really, what that's what we do. We help by consulting on a project because this world that we live in, this ecosystem of publishing is so many and varied and, and disparate and across adult and children's and fiction and nonfiction and trade and academic. And so th- there are so many things that we try and get sorted at the beginning through a process where we really try and understand what it is somebody wants to achieve and the timelines and the schedules and the objectives and what success looks like for them, which I know is an awful phrase, but it's the best way of describing it because we don't have a publishing schedule. We're not like a traditional publisher. We don't have a publishing schedule into which books fit. Every project we work on has its own schedule. Every writer is a unique engagement for us. So we have to get that consultation process right. Fantastic. So where can people find more information and everything you do at White Fox? Well, thank you for this opportunity. So we basically, as I said earlier, free downloadable material, which is available at our website, which is wearewhitefox.com slash crowdfunding. And we've really tried to, on this specific subject, put in as much information, be as transparent as possible, look at different platforms and options. There's some case studies, some pros and cons, and try to put it all out there, which we hope is a really, really useful resource for people. And on our website, you will find details of other projects that we've worked on, uh, other case studies, examples of everything that we have done and, and are just about to do in terms of holding writers' hands through this process of publishing. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, both of you, for your time. That was great. Thank you very, very much, Joanna, for the opportunity. Yes, thank you, Joanna. So I hope you found the interview with John and Chris interesting. And if you want to design and print special editions, definitely reach out and have a conversation. And please mention you heard about them from me. Just go to wearewhitefox.com and you can also download their special crowdfunding resource at wearewhitefox.com forward slash crowdfunding. 
So back to the writing craft and the life of an author in Monday's episode, as I'm talking to thriller author Tess Gerritsen about writing for the long term, how she rejuvenates her creativity, writing a series, writing medical thrillers and much more. I was pretty excited to talk to a famous... (laughs) author like Tess and she has some very positive things to say about the choice of going indie even though she's been in the traditional industry for many decades and uh, yeah it was really interesting to talk to her so that is coming up in the next episode happy writing and I'll see you next time thanks for listening today I hope you found it helpful You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.